Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All right, so some things are complicated, right? No? Okay, let, let me see if I can figure out some of the... Okay, here we go, like videos ending suddenly are, are complicated, right? Complex. Technology's complex. What about what about uh, uh, Rubik's Cube? Was anybody really good at the Rubik's Cube? I mean, I tried. I even watched all the cheat videos, and it's just too complicated for me. Uh, here's some other things that are kind of complicated to me. Algebra. Okay, wait. Let me back up and make it right. Math. Okay, so it, it just let's get it real. It, it's just math is complicated. I, uh, I, I, here's some other complicated or complex or confusing things to me. Here's, here's one of them. Why do people who escape scary stuff in horror movies always go back into the barn, back into the cellar, back into the house? I mean, come on. That's complicated. That's confusing to me. Like, you've escaped. Run. Don't go back. Or, or here's another one. How about in action movies when, when somebody disarms the bad guy? They never stop and pick up the weapon that the bad guy was carrying, even though they know there's going to be more bad guys because the movie's not over yet. And it's complicated. I, I started to use football as an example, but I won't do that this morning because uh, there are some things that are confusing. Uh, so instead, I will use this. This is confusing. This is complex. Women. <laughs> All right. I knew I'd get y'all are in trouble. See, I didn't, I'm not in trouble because I'm so, uh, so, so complicated. Um, Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Faith was never supposed to be complicated. Having faith was never supposed to be complicated. But man, for some reason, we have this tendency and this propensity towards making things more difficult and complicated and complex than they have to be. Here's the perfect example. Uh, God speaks to man and gives us ten very simple, very understandable, very clear commandments. And by the time Jesus shows up, man has gotten involved and has now made it extremely complicated and confusing. In fact, uh, it, what you discover is that now Jesus is on the scene, the religious folks have gotten involved, and they've now clarified the Ten Commandments, and they've written about them 613 laws associated with the Ten Commandments just so you will understand them. Come on now, that's what we do. And then beyond that, not only did they write 1,613 additional laws about the commandments, the, the, the religious folks begin to give an oral commentary called the Mishnah. All the religious leaders had this Mishnah, these, these sayings and, and uh, commentary about the 613 laws, just to make it even more uh, clear, right? What they were trying to do is they were building this fence around the Mosaic law, trying to make sure that you wouldn't break God's commandments. So here's an example. By the time Jesus shows up, out of this uh, Mishnah, there were 63 subsections of the, of the Mishnah that people had to know. So, for instance, the very clear commandment uh, to keep the Sabbath, right? I mean, come on, that's pretty simple, right? Uh, but now... Man wants to make it so difficult that they, out of the Mishnah, they, they now have 30, is it 39 categories of labor? 
that you can't participate in on the Sabbath. And then to just make it clear, they have dozens and dozens of subcategories under that category to help you understand how to keep the Sabbath. Man makes things complicated. So Jesus walks into this situation, uh, into this confusing and complex situation, and into this crushing environment of rules and regulations and, and, and confusion. And he tries to simplify everything. In fact, uh, Julie's already mentioned it once when he was asked to make commentary on what had already been commentaried to death by this time about the commandments. Jesus pushes through all the 613 commentary laws, all the subcategories, even all the 10, and he gets down to two. And he says, let's simplify this thing. Let's make this so everybody can understand it again. Love God, love man. That's it. Simplify it. Let's make this easy for you to understand so there's no confusion. Forget all the other stuff that everybody's telling you. Let's just get back to the basics. Just love God and love man. That was what Jesus did. He simplified things. Well, that's what we want to do over the coming weeks. We're going to try over the next few weeks just to get back to the basics to make sure that we focus on what really matters. And so we have this tendency, we want to go to church. I, and, I, and I will admit, when I go to other people's church, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I want to go somewhere and I want somebody to be profound, be deep. You know, take, take me somewhere I've never been before. Tell me something I've never heard before. And if you don't, I'm going to be disappointed. But Jesus was just simple. He just told us simple things. I've come to the conclusion that uh, most of us are educated beyond our level of obedience. And we're certainly educated beyond our level of experience. So I think over the course of the next few weeks, what we want to do is we just want to get back to the very, very basics of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, uh, one of the simplest truths we learn that we need to learn is one of the ones that we forget. And when we do, it has unbelievable ramifications for every aspect of our life. Uh, it, it deals... It, If we forget this truth, it has bearing on our behavior. It has bearing an impact on our thought life. It has bearing on everything about us. If we don't understand that we're disciples, then we have complicated things and we become confused. Let me see if I can help you this morning. I want you to join me. Uh, We're going to look in Mark. Uh, In Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read to you uh, a passage that you're probably familiar with, but I want us to go back and look at it for just a minute, and I'll I'll explain why here in just a moment. Mark chapter 1, and beginning in verse 16, says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. In Mark chapter 2, you see uh, this acted out again, this time in a little bit of a different setting. I'll let you go read it for yourself. But Jesus is walking uh, through a community, and he spots a tax collector by the name of Levi. And it's the same scenario. Leave everything, come and follow me. Until by the time we get to Mark chapter 3, I'll let you read this for yourself again. In Mark chapter 3, we come to this place where Jesus has now called 12 men that now we call disciples, followers of Christ. They've left everything, and they've given a, given a, uh, a break to all that, and they say, you know what, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be 
his disciples. I don't think we understand in our society today and in our setting today that Jesus was, in fact, in those moments breaking through uh, some very confusing and complicated uh, systems of his day. Let me just, and I'm going to make a point out of this, so, but I want you to understand that, that Jesus is literally turning the system that these people were familiar with on its head. Let me see if I can explain. Um, as you know, by this time, uh, the, the temple had been destroyed uh, over a course of uh, invasions and, and occupations. The temple that they had all, all the Israelites would make journeys and pilgrimages to to worship is now destroyed. So they can't get to the temple. So now they decide to bring the temple to them. So in each community, they build and construct a synagogue. It's a place of worship, but it's more than just a place of worship. In that day, a synagogue was also a place of education so that every child receives all of their education, their formal education inside the synagogue or the place of worship. And so this is how it worked. When, when children were between the ages of 5 and 10, uh, they, they would go to what they called the house of the book to learn the Torah. This was for boys and girls from the ages of 5 to 10. They would go every day to the synagogue to learn the book, the Torah. They would memorize it. But then by the time they turned 11 or to 12 years old, now the girls didn't get to go to school anymore. Uh, so now the boys continue to go to the synagogue. And now it is uh, one step further. It's called the uh, great interpretation. So now they learn how to apply the word. Now watch what happens. In the life of a Jewish boy, when they turn 13, they are considered a man. Right? So they have bar mitzvah. Right? It's a rite of passage. And I don't have time to deal with this, but the way they determined whether they had become a man or not was whether they were bold enough to stand up in front of the adults in the room and read from the word. And so bar mitzvah, right? So at 13 years old, this is what took place. At 13, uh, they go through bar mitzvah, a rite of passage, and this is what happens. The A students, the A students, those that have done really well and show promise in religious things, they are dismissed to go and find a rabbi. They go look for a rabbi. There were rabbis traveling all over the country like John the Baptist. He had disciples. He was a rabbi. So when they become 13, they go through bar mitzvah. They go and find a rabbi. But here's the deal. Everybody that flunks out, that's not the brightest, that shows no promise in the religious things, that didn't really do very well as they're learning the word, guess what they do? They go back to their father's business. So think about this a moment. Everybody Jesus called as his disciples were back doing what their daddy had always done. So what that tells us is that Jesus didn't choose the brightest students or the pet students or the A students. He goes out of his way to pick those that have been thrown out, cast out, overlooked, rejected. He's throwing the system on its head. Then one step further, I've already told you that when a boy turned 13, he would leave the synagogue and he would go over the countryside and he would, he would be hearing these teachings from all these rabbis that were traveling across the country. And he would go find his own rabbi because he wanted to do more than just learn what the rabbi knew. He wanted to walk with the rabbi and live with the rabbi so that he would learn the character of the rabbi and become like him, right? 
That's the system. But Jesus turns that on his head, and now Jesus, the rabbi, check, what he does, check out what he does. He selects his disciples. He's turning the system on his head. He calls these men to follow him. Why is that important? That is great news. That is simple news. The simple news this morning is that Jesus continues to choose. He still seeks people other people would cast out and reject and overlook and dismiss. Jesus still goes looking for people like that, and he calls them to follow him. I can prove it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, it says this, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many uh, wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to, uh, which are not to bring to not things that are, that no flesh should glorify. Glory in his presence. Well, that sounds confusing. But let me read it in a different translation. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. That's pretty clear. That's pretty simple. And if that's not simple enough, what about Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one has chosen us. I know that's not profound. I know that's not going to make the cover of some Christian magazine. I know that's not going to get you invited to the circuit of all the conference speakers, but this is one of the most basic, but one of the greatest messages and revelations that we have as individuals is that we are chosen. Chosen. So this morning I want to say to you that uh, uh, the, 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 the simple question is this, is uh, are we disciples? That is the question that we must deal with. And I think that if we count ourselves as people that have been chosen, then we need to do this. We need to remember who did the choosing. We need to come back to this place where we recognize who chose whom. Did I say that right English-wise? I don't know because English is complicated. Is it Who? It was whom? I said whom? Okay, yes. Thank you, Jesus. I got a passing grade. 
So, so in spite of our shortcomings and in spite of our unworthiness, Jesus added us to his team. That means when I was overlooked by everybody else, Jesus didn't overlook me. It means when I wasn't selected by everybody else because I wasn't big enough, Jesus still picked me. It means when I, I was not chosen by everybody else because they didn't think I was smart enough, Jesus still selected me. He chose me. And he chose you. And what that should do is it should fill our hearts with joy. You ought to be filled with joy this morning that he has selected you, that he first loved you, that you were handpicked, that you were selected even when you weren't worthy. But it also should not only fill your heart with joy, it should fill your heart with thanksgiving and humility. Because this is where we get it all messed up and confused and complicated is we act like we chose Jesus. Have you found Jesus? Well, Jesus has never been lost. He didn't find, we didn't find him. He found us. He selected us. But, but we want to take credit for it. And we want to become proud about it and act like we had something to do with it. But the reality is this morning is the word declares that while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us, selected us, picked us, chose us, and it ought to fill our hearts with such thanksgiving and humility that we want to share that truth with everybody else so that they can be chosen. We didn't choose him. We also need to remember this truth because if we don't, there are going to be days in our life where um, we will face difficult situations. I, I got to preach in Southwestern Chapel this week, and I reminded, uh, that, reminded the students that pain is promised. All of us will go through significant trials. David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. There's no way to avoid it. If you're you're in relationship with God, we would like to think we get a free pass, but we don't. There's no way to avoid pain. So so we need to know the truth that we're selected, that we're chosen, because if we don't, when we face days when things don't go the way we wanted them to, we will base our discipleship, uh, our disciple status, if we're not careful, based on feelings. And I just got news for you. There are a lot of days I don't feel like a disciple. Ever had one of those days where you wake up and go, man, I don't even feel like I've been chosen. I won't, I won't feel like I've been selected. If I'd have been selected by Jesus, I wouldn't have to go through what I'm going through. And so we begin to question whether or not we've been chosen. But I just came to tell you this morning that our chosenness has nothing to do with our feelings. In fact, in, the, uh, in, in um, uh, I just need to tell you that feelings are very uh, prolific liars. Your feelings will lie to you. Feelings are important in many areas of life, but they are, un, they are completely unreliable in matters of faith. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. One guy said this. He said, the Bible wastes very little time on the way we feel. He says, we live in an age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, that there can be no authenticity in doing it. Listen to what he says. He says, but the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Wow. So what he's saying, in other words, is even when you don't feel like you've been chosen, you've still got to act like you've been chosen. Because your feelings have nothing to do with the fact that Jesus selected you and handpicked you and made you one of his own. Just because we don't feel chosen has no bearing on the fact that we've been chosen. We've got to remember who chose us. 
you're chosen. The second thing I want to say to you is this this morning, is that as we begin to wrestle with the basics of whether we're really disciples or not, we need to remember that uh, when you're chosen, being chosen leads to choices. If you're chosen, it is absolutely unavoidable. You will be faced with choices. Um, There are many choices. From from the time that I recognized that Jesus had chosen me and I give my life to him at a very young age, my life, and all of us, this is true not just for me, it's true for all of us, our life is just a series of choices. We're faced with choices. When you're selected to be a disciple, you are faced with choices. We could spend uh, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks dealing with all the different choices that we have to make. But since we're trying to simplify things, I think there's one simple choice. When you when you pull it all the way down to the to the very basics, let's get back to the basics and figure out what really matters. There's only one choice that really matters. It is the choice that we have to make. All the other choices that you will be faced with when you are called into discipleship with Christ, all of the others hinge on this one choice, and it is very simply this. We must make the choice, the number one choice, to obey. Every other choice you make will be determined by whether you're willing to make this choice, and that is, I will obey my rabbi. Uh, I, the disciples had to make those kind of choices. If you w- remember, uh, Jesus found them on a seashore one time frustrated because they'd fished all night and they'd caught nothing, and Jesus gives them instructions, we've talked about this before, that make absolutely no sense. Go out in the middle of the day, throw your nets back out in clear water, then you will catch fish. A carpenter giving lifetime fishermen fishing lessons. Makes no sense. And the disciples have this this, uh, moment where they have to make a choice. This is the number one choice. Am I going to obey or not? They actually begin to make excuses. Hey, bro, we fished all night. Where you been? I know while you were sleeping, we were out here on the boat. Right? They, they begin to make excuses. They begin to make their arguments. But suddenly in the mix somewhere, they come to this decision moment and they decide to obey. You know the results, great harvest. See, disciples um, have to make decisions in spite of feelings. Disciples have to make uh, decisions based not on their own wisdom or even their own experiences because the disciples had experience. They were experienced fishermen. They had experience. They had to make a choice, a, a decision to obey, even though it didn't line up with their experience. Just because Jesus said they obey. See, in the Old Testament, I don't have time to go through all this, but if you begin to read in Genesis all the way to the New Testament, what you really discover is that the Old Testament is nothing more than a a description, a story of God trying to get his people to obey. That's what he's trying to do. In fact, David comes onto the scene and has a revelation that even though he has the revelation, the rest of the people don't seem to get it. But David had a revelation. He says, with God, it's better to obey than to make sacrifice. He recognized that this whole thing, why why did they wonder for 40 years in the wilderness? Because God was trying to get them to obey. Why did he send them prophets to preach the truth? Because he was trying to get them to obey. Why did uh, uh, aliens come in, not aliens from up there, but aliens from other foreigners come in from other countries? And, and uh, see, I freaked you out. All right, why, why, 
Nanu, Nanu. Uh, uh, Mork shows up for Mork, and he overruns the children of Israel and puts them into bondage. Some of y'all are like, Mork, who's Mork? Uh, why? Because he's trying to get them to obey. Then you fast forward to the New Testament, and it's all about Jesus trying to convince people to obey. In fact, Jesus drives home this importance of obedience in the life of disciples very simply. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. He's demanding obedience. In John chapter 15, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain, you will remain immediately at home in my love. So I have to make the logical conclusion that if I don't keep your commandments, then I don't remain at home in your love. Okay. Simply put, disciples obey. Disciples don't look for loopholes. Disciples don't try to see how close they can get to the edge without falling off and breaking relationship. Disciples don't try to see what they can get away with. Disciples simply obey. In fact, I want to say to you this morning, that close following requires complete obedience. Come on, parents. Come on, parents. Don't you know when, you're, when you're, your kids don't completely obey, there's a rift in relationship? My, I got parents elbowing kids right now. Come on, elbow them. Tell them. No matter if they're 28, tell them. If, if you would obey completely, as long as you obey completely, we stay in right relationship. There's no rift. There's no division. But I tell you to do something and you argue with me and you don't obey or maybe you do it halfway. Don't you know in your own home there comes this uneasy feeling and a little tension? Disciples maintain close relationship by completely One man rightfully said that we have disconnected obedience from faith. Listen to what he says. We have disconnected obedience from faith. And it has produced a gospel that is eating the life out of our churches. That is a profound statement. I've never read that before until I started prepping this message and it has hit home to me. We have tried to disconnect obedience from our faith. So when we read instructions in the Word. We want to disconnect obedience from our faith as if that was written for somebody else. But if we are disciples, those are instructions for us. And he says, because we continue to disconnect obedience from faith, it has produced a gospel in today's church that is eating our soul away. Our lack of obedience. Our fallback position must become this. This is where we got to land. Very simple. Even so, Lord, we will do as you say. We've talked about this before. The last time I talked to you about obedience, I said it was this. Yes, sir. Whatever you say to do, yes, sir. Doesn't have to make sense to me. Doesn't have to be comfortable to me. But I will do it. Our level of discipleship is determined by the depth of our obedience. Are you obedient? See, you're going to have choices, and you're going to have choices to make. When you have choices to make, then we must come to this place where I simply obey what He has told me to do. Every other choice that I have 
must be weighed against this standard. This is the litmus test. Am I being obedient to what he told me to do? Comes down to this. If it's my way, if it's the world's way, if it's my preference, if it's my tradition, if it's what society says is acceptable, if it's trendy, I will weigh all of that against what Jesus said. And if everybody else goes the other way, then my decision is based on this. Disciples, obey. Whether anybody else goes or not. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Y'all remember that old song? We don't like to sing that song much anymore. Uh, I'll end with this with you. I just want to say this to you this morning. Uh, We have this tendency... And I do it, and you do it, and we all do it. We call Jesus Lord. In church settings now, we use this term for Jesus quite regularly. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of my life. He's Lord. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over heaven. He's Lord over earth. He's Lord over my family. He's the Lord. You know what the disciples called him? Master. But because master is not socially acceptable in our society, we don't like to use it, so we use Lord. But I want to submit to you this morning that maybe what we ought to do is go back and recapture the word master and say, Jesus, you're the master. That means I have no choice in this matter other than the choice to obey. You are my master. You dictate to me what you want me to do. And at that moment, I don't argue with you. I don't negotiate with you. I don't even check with other believers other than to make sure that I'm on the right road against your word and once your word declares that this is the way I'm supposed to go then even if everybody else that calls themselves disciples chooses to go another way doesn't have any bearing on me because you are my master you're the master maybe we need to let Jesus become the master of our lives again I I just want to challenge you this morning to very simply ask yourself one question today I could ask you to uh, to ask a lot of questions, but the question that I want you to ask today is this. Are you a disciple? Are you really a disciple? You say, well, I think I am. No, that wasn't the, that's that's not the standard. I'm asking you, do you know whether or not you're a disciple? Because Jesus said we would know that we're his followers by our love. But what I'm saying to you as well is love is part of the obedience factor. So really what we can say is we would know whether or not we're disciples by whether we obey the one giving the instructions. How do people know that my sons are my sons? Because they obey. Sometimes. Right? I mean... Isn't that what we try to do as parents? We try to get our children raised to where they will obey. We're trying to show them a way. And we, we, we determined that we did a good job even when they graduate and move out of our house and get their own house and get married and have their own kids. If they're still walking in the way that we showed them, how does all that take place? Simply obedience. I know we've been chosen, but do our choices Signify 
that we're disciples. I just want to challenge you this morning, Catherine, if you'll come. I just, I just, she's going to play for a moment, and I'm just going to give you just a few moments. Uh, I, I could bring you down here to the altar, and, and, and you have an emotional feeling, but your feelings can lie to you. Because we can come into an, an altar environment where there are other believers around us and be all emotional and never really deal with our own heart. And then because our feelings will lie to us, we can leave and think we got it all worked out because everybody around us got it all worked out. But I'm taking you somewhere else this morning. I'm asking you to have a heart-to-heart talk with Jesus, not about your husband, not about your wife, not about your kids, not about your friends, not about your community, but about you. I need you to ask this question. I'm going to ask it myself. Am I obedient? And if I am, then I'll be able to get up whether I feel like it or not. I'll be able to get up this morning out of this time of prayer and I'll be able to say, you know what? I'm a disciple. One of his. But if you're not obedient this morning, you've got to come to grips with the fact that your obedience determines whether you're a disciple or not. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. As Catherine plays, and uh, would you just take a moment and maybe, maybe you need to turn and kneel at your chair. Maybe you just need to stand. Maybe you need to step out into an aisle. Maybe whatever you need to do, whatever he says to do, do it. But I just need you to get along with Jesus just for a few moments this morning and begin to ask yourself this question. Have I been obedient to everything he's told me to do? Even if I didn't like it even if it didn't fit my preference, even if everybody else said it was okay. Am I following him? Would you find a place to pray for just a few moments before we end together today? Father, this morning I pray over each of us that we would come to this place where we obey. Father, I just want to be honest for everyone in here and honest for myself. There are a lot of things that you say to do I don't like that aren't very comfortable. 
In fact, Jesus, there are a lot of the stuff that you, a lot of things that you've told us to do that, I'll just be honest with you, Lord, they, they don't make sense. Like, love your enemy. Like, give 10% of your income. Like, turn the other cheek. Some of that stuff makes no sense. This morning, I want to declare that I'm so thankful that you chose me even when I wasn't worthy, even when I'm still not worthy. I'm thankful that when others overlooked me, you handpicked me, selected me, added me to your team, chose me, went out of your way to come and find me. I was lost. You came out of your way to find me. And even after I was chosen, there are still days I mess it all up. bring shame not only on myself but on on you as well because I'm called by your name. So Jesus, I'm so thankful that you stuck with me and that you continue to believe in me and that you continue to desire to use me. And so out of all that this morning, Jesus, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when I don't like it, even when it goes against everything within me, even when I have a good argument, even when other people have good arguments, Father, this morning I declare you're my master. So, because of that, I will obey. I make a conscious decision to choose. I choose. I make the choice. I I determine in my own heart. I come to the conclusion that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You know better. You know better. The way you do things is so much better than the way I do things. So, Father, I declare this morning over my own life and over the lives of those under the sound of my voice that we will choose to obey. Our discipleship will be put on display by the level of obedience. We will not argue. We will not make excuses. We will simply obey pray that out of the obedience of our life you would bring great blessing. Everywhere I read in your word that people obeyed, great blessings came, harvest came, miracles came. So Father, this morning I pray that as these folks and for myself, as we obey you, that you would open up the windows of heaven. You would pour out blessings that we cannot contain. We will obey you. You are Thank you for what you're accomplishing today in each and every one of our lives. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.